Hello Tea Crew and welcome to a brand new episode of Tea Talk with Sha. Today we're going to be getting into all the hot topics all over social media and the internet and we're also going to be doing a deep dive on Netflix's new series Dahmer. You're not going to want to miss this. Stay tuned. All right, tea crew, we got to get straight into it because as per usual, there's tons of tea to spill. So let's get started. The first, Rihanna is going to be hosting the 2023 Super Bowl halftime show. Oh my gosh. So let's get into how everything went down yesterday and basically how we were able to confirm the halftime show and what people are expecting. So yesterday, probably about midday, all the blogs started breaking that Rihanna was rumored to do the halftime show. Now, this was a huge leap for a lot of people to believe because Rihanna hasn't done music, I think, since 2018. Um, And she really hasn't dropped an album in a long time. She hasn't performed in a long time. She's really been focusing on her charity work, Um, both in the States and Barbados. And she's also been focusing on her huge beauty company, um, you know, that does skincare, makeup. I think they even dropped like a fragrance. So she has like an all over beauty company that she's running in addition to being a philanthropist and a, um, you know, a charity person that's raising tons of money for these great causes. Right. And then in addition to that, as we well know, um, Re also just had her first baby. We never got any details on the baby's name or even, I think, a confirmation on the baby's gender. But the baby has been born and she's also a first time mom. So she has that going on for her. But it was confirmed on Rihanna's own Instagram page when she posted a picture of her hand holding a football. And then the caption was period. So Rihanna is basically confirming that she will be doing the halftime show. And, you know, it's going down, basically. (laughs) The Navy was going off. People were reacting. They were like, she's going to get up there and do a makeup tutorial. I was like, don't play in Reese's face. She was an entertainer for many, many years before she went into becoming an entrepreneur. And I definitely think she's going to serve um, on this uh, Super Bowl stage. Now, people are definitely asking who she's going to bring on stage with her. I definitely think ASAP Rocky's probably a lock um, that he will either be on stage with her or be, you know, really close by supporting her. That's her child's father. And he's also a music artist. So why not use the opportunity to give your baby dad a look? You know what I mean? Um, so I think ASAP Rocky will definitely join her. I can't really think of anybody else that will join her, but maybe, oh, I was gonna say maybe Drake, but that could be awkward because I don't know. Um, But people are also speculating that this will be the kickoff for um, her dropping the R9 album, which some speculate is started or even close to being finished, that Ree has taken this downtime to work on the album in secret and that it is almost finished. Um, so I don't know about if it's almost finished, but I do think that this would be a good opportunity. She'll be up on the biggest stage on the biggest night. She has a full 20 minutes to perform. I mean, this is the best ad for a new album if I've ever seen one. And I think that'll really like solidify her comeback. If she does Super Bowl, puts an album out, spends a few more months, you know, at home, getting the tour together and then going on tour. 
um, which would be crazy because then we would literally have Rihanna and Beyonce touring at the same time. And I I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind and my coins, my coins and my mind would be gone. (laughs) But congratulations to Rihanna for this huge look. Congratulations to us for finally getting to see Rihanna perform again. I saw her at Global Citizen, like I think 2017 and she really did her thing, but you could just tell like, Not that she didn't do her thing, but you could just tell she was ready to step into another like section of her career that, you know, she just came on kind of late and, um, you know, it's a charity performance, of course. So it's nothing like, you know, we paid all this money. We all went for free. Um, but it was a great show. It was great to hear her music live and great to see her perform live. You could just tell she was ready to step into something else. So I'm glad she was able to get the opportunity to step away from music, but that she's now coming back into music and we could not be more excited for her comeback. All right, let's get into the next topic here because last night the Real Housewives debuted their final part of their reunion show. They had three parts. Last night was the third part. And let's just say it was dry as the Sahara. I mean, I'm not even trying to, it it was just not there. I mean, anytime Beverly Hills has more drama than Atlanta and is more exciting to watch than Atlanta, there is a serious problem. Um, so at the final part of the reunion, Portia and Nini started trending and people basically started talking about their displeasure with the show, how they need to do something, how they need to bring Portia and Nini back or Portia or Nini back or something that the show is just not giving the way it used to. And they really had three parts of nothing on their reunion um, the last three weeks. Now, Candy is the longest running housewife. Um, congrats to Candy. When she signed her contract for the upcoming season of Real Housewives of Atlanta, she became, she became the longest running housewife in housewife history to, you know, continue to get contracts and continue to be on the show. Now, congrats to Candy for that. Now, having said that, Candy is not carrying Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay, full stop. She's not carrying Real Housewives of Atlanta. And it's creating problems because they put a lot of, you know, Real Housewives of Atlanta has been one of the top Housewives franchises for a very long time. Um, Bravo puts a lot of money into the production of it, the looks of the women. Like, they put a lot of money into all the franchises, but especially the franchises that produce a lot of money, they put a lot of money back into that. They have them at the Bravo cons. They have them, you know, in the branding and merchandising for Bravo as a whole, not just Real Housewives. So when something like this happens and the ratings just drop and people are no longer interested, the the execs are scrambling to find something to do to try to get the eyeballs back on to those hit shows. Now, Mm -hmm. it has been rumored that um, Portia is coming back and that Portia is coming back for a bag. Now, this has been contested, but it has been rumored that Portia is coming back for $5 million. And the only reason I believe this is because Portia, when she got with Simon, you know, obviously money is not really a problem. She quit all her jobs. She stopped working at the dish. You know, she still does pamper by Portia, but she really took a step back from working a lot when she got with Simon, because of course, Simon is rumored to have a lot of money and it wasn't necessary for Portia to work. So I think 
after the catastrophe of shooting Portia Family Matters, they would have to drop a huge bag for Portia to come back. And I think that they did. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. We won't know until A, she actually rejoins the show and B, all of that stuff is released. So I will keep you posted on that. Nini, I don't think Nini's coming back. I would love for her to come back, but I don't think she's coming back. I think her lawsuit against Bravo being settled and everything that really happened between her and production, you know, the racism claims, her claims against Andy. I don't think that even to get ratings sky high that they would take a chance on Nene again. Now, they're also saying that Kim Zolciak may be coming back as a friend of the show. This is just a rumor. Kim has neither, you know, confirmed or denied. I don't know about this either. You know, Kim hasn't been on reality for a very long time either. And I honestly think that with all the kids that her and Croy have, the situation that happened with her, um, one of her older daughter daughters, Ariana, um, and the DUI earlier this year, I really don't think that she's going to take her attention off of her kids right now to film, even as a friend of the show. I, I just don't see it happening, but I know they're willing to do almost anything, bring almost anyone back to stir up something. Um, maybe Tanya, maybe Tanya might be coming back and basically addressing her leave and everything that happened to her. Like that might be something I, I really don't know. But I think this is what happens when you get housewives that are safe and sometimes fun, but that can't lead a show. They just run it straight into the ground. I guess that's just that on that. All right, let's get into this next topic here. Academics attacks Rajanae and her new boyfriend, Armand Warren. So Academics is on his show, right? He goes on Twitch and he streams for hours. And I think that's important to bring up because... Certain times when you see people stream or they just kind of continue to go on and on and on, things are said that are slightly, you know, inappropriate or that shouldn't be said. But now you've been streaming for so long. It's almost like you forget that you're filming yourself. You forget that you're doing a commentary and you're just going on and on and on and on about a topic and things can come out. So he was basically trying to address when women that are not of the street life, right? And they call them quote unquote civilians, I think, um, date men from the streets. Something will happen and transpire between the two of them. And then these women leave the situation. Now, this is something that's common and of course makes a ton of sense, right? You want the excitement, you want the clout, you want the gifts, you want riding around the hood with somebody who you feel is powerful, But when it comes down to them actually catching a case or being involved in something, you're not from that life, you're not from that sector, and you're definitely hauling tail. Now, we saw this happen with Chloe and Gunna, allegedly with, well, allegedly with all of them, allegedly with Ashanti and um, Irv Gotti. You know, it's just like when something goes down, these women, you know, move them, remove themselves from the situation. And might I add, I feel like that's the a thousand percent correct choice. Hanging out with them in the first place may have not been a good choice, but when they go down for something, tying yourself down to something like that is never going to be a good situation for you, especially if you're not married. If you're just dating and you decide to ride or die and tie yourself to that situation, that is never going to be, in my opinion, something that's going to be good for you. 
I mean, Keisha and Gucci are not the, um, not the rule y'all. They're an exception. The fact that she held him down while he was in jail, but they were, they had a closer relationship and she really knew that once he got out of prison, that they could work on things and really, and that's, that was her decision to do, but it doesn't always work out like that. So you have to think about yourself and your interests first, especially when you're so young. So this is the conversation that he's having, right? He brings up Regine and YFN Lucci as an example. Now we all know last year, YFN Lucci went away for a Rico case um, and he's not looking to get out anytime soon. And although Regine was in love with him, spending time with him, spending time with the kids, um, and they had what looked to be a serious relationship, that relationship kind of fell apart when he got sentenced to all those years. And um, it was clear that he was going to be in prison for a while. A lot of, you know, their relationship basically just kind of fell off. Um, and he just used that as an example of the way that women will walk away from a situation when it no longer benefits them. And as I said, I think everyone, man, woman, child, whoever, should walk away from a situation when it no longer benefits you because you have to look out for yourself as well. Um, A lot of these men say, you know, hold me down, hold me down. If these women went to jail, they would have two or three women in their house before the end of the day. Let's keep it a bean, okay? Um. So after the comments were made about Regine, and of course they, that was the argument, but that's not how he said it. He said it in his act way. You know, he's like calling people bees, which he did later apologize and backtrack on using that kind of language. But he said he just meant generally this group of women, but he did say the B word and he had to backtrack that. Um, but he did apologize for that. But just the way that he brings things up and tries to kind of make it seem like Regine didn't know what she was doing and whatever the case. I mean, she was, I think 20 or 22 in the situation. And I think that could be why she made the decision to be with him. And like I said, like, there's a lot of things that come with these kind of relationships and she's not the only woman that's done it. So after the comments were made, oh, he also made comments about her new boyfriend. And that was, I guess, like the second part of it that he was saying that after they get with these guys, they turn around and they go to the sweetest non-hood guy they could find and try to build a relationship there. Also, what's the problem with that? That makes sense to me as well. You've just almost incriminated yourself into a situation that could have caused you behind bars. Now, of course, you're going to go to somebody who you feel like is more aligned with your goals and dreams and what you want to do. That makes a thousand percent sense to me. He called Armand um, feminine and, you know, he said, basically making like TikTok videos and all types of like couples content, like the opposite of the relationship that she had with YFN Lucci allegedly, because how would you know what kind of relationship they had? You know what I mean? But okay. So after those comments were made, her mom, Toya clapped back and said, you know, don't ever bring up my child. And it's just inappropriate for you to always be speaking on women the way you do. And she just went in on him. Now, academics responded directly to this and he said, you know, she's 23 years old. She's not a child anymore and she's a public figure. So I can speak on her however I would like to. Then T.I. also had a response for academics. He said that Regine is, quote unquote, under the umbrella and covered. And if anything is going on with Regine, that they will deal with it internally. And he wants to set up a meeting with academics to resolve this peacefully. Um I took that as kind of like, okay, like you want to talk, but that was also kind of like a veiled threat. 
Like, if we can't resolve this peacefully, like, we gonna see you for making comments about Regina. I don't know. I mean, Trey Taylor, who was the brother of Armand Warren, also stepped to him. You know, like, I hope you catch a fade or whatever the case is. We don't condone violence on this podcast. But I'll just say, like, there's a way to say everything. And I think that his points were definitely valid. But the way you say things is everything. Because you definitely attacked her unprovoked. There was no reason for you to bring her up. I know you were talking about a certain commentary, but you're going to bring somebody up as an example and then spray them down. Like that makes absolutely no sense. If you're going to bring her up as an example and there were no other issues that were going on with Regine at the time, why would you spray her and her current boyfriend like that? You know, just bring up the example and move on. You don't have to like dive deep into her life and make it seem like she's picking the wrong men or that something's wrong with her or it just it just was giving very 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 weird she's a young girl she's hip-hop royalty and she's just doing her thing she's living that 23 year old lifestyle I want people to remember what you dated at 23 (laughs) because 23 is a weird time it's a very very weird time and anybody running off to the chapel to get married, you know, she's not rushing into anything. She's just dating, like let her live. You know, that's what makes me annoyed with his commentary. It's like, okay, so she did, she did date a hood guy to now seemingly, um, a guy who seems to be more on the same, you know, wave that she is the TikToks, the YouTube videos or whatever. So what? She's 23. Let her live. It is what it is. Um, all right, let's get into the next topic here. Whew, cheating scandals. Now, cheating scandals have been really popular in the last week. They have been really coming up. So we're going to get into two of the biggest ones that have been in the news recently. Adam Levine, the lead singer from Maroon 5, had a woman come forward via TikTok and claimed that he was um, DMing her inappropriate things and offering to name his kids after her. Um, after this, several other women came forward and claimed that they received inappropriate DMs from Adam Levine as well. Adam Levine just made a quick statement. He said, I cheat. I cheated, um, I think. And that was it. I don't think he said any other context to that. His wife also came forward, a former Victoria's Secret model. And she said she's very disappointed in his behavior and basically left it at that. I don't think she, you know, said she was leaving or had any forecast for the future of their relationship. All right. What do I think about this? It's going to be an unpopular opinion. You guys were in my comments telling me what you guys thought. You guys came in my DMs. Some of you guys agreed with me. Some of you guys did not agree with me. I feel like a side chick must understand the responsibilities of being a side chick. When he slid in those DMs, you knew he had kids, you knew he was married, you knew he had a family, and you still engaged. This is exactly why I feel like when you come back years later and say you were exploited, you felt like the power dynamics were off, you felt like he was using you, I really feel like you got to take a step back because everyone wants to be grown. Everyone wants to be, you know, this is, I'm over 18. I'll do what I want. You were 20 years old. And believe me, I know 20 years old is very, very young. I know how power dynamics work. I know how you could feel like this celebrity is so powerful that I can't tell them no in a situation. But you also engaged with someone that you knew was in a relationship because you thought you may gain something from it. Let's keep it a buck. You did it because you thought you could gain something from it. 
when nothing really materialized, now you're ready to expose him. And I honestly just think that that's messed up because you both knew what it was when you went into it. And I know people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, how could you have that stance? But at the end of the day, you knew he was married. He knew he was married. Both of you were wrong. So for you to be able to now come back and expose him and try to ruin his life and his marriage, if he wanted to tell his wife, you could have told his wife behind closed doors. You had receipts. You could have sent those receipts to his wife. And if she cared to respond, then you could have gotten, she could have gotten a fuller picture of her spouse. But at the end of the day, that's her spouse. And you have no relationship to this man. You know, I think people got to keep in their mind what is actually coming with the gifts and the trips and whatever else that comes along with being a side chick. Being in public is not part of it. People getting to know who you slept with is not part of it. It's just not. That's not part of what you signed up for when you signed up to be someone's extra marital affair. That's it. And then the... um. Ume Akoda, I hope I'm not butchering that name, uh, the fiance of Nia Long. And he had an affair with a coaching staff member who was married to a Celt, a Boston Celtics vice president. And this caused him to be suspended for a year and likely fired after that year is over. Now, this one really threw me because this couple has been together, I think, eight or nine years. They have a child together. They've lived bicoastally for a long time. She lived in LA. He lived in Boston and various other places um, in his coaching career. And he told her, you know, move to Boston. I'm a head coach here. I will put you up here. I want our son to be here. And really just moved her two months ago. Now, this affair has been going on for a while. And it's been rumored that over the summer... The vice president that the young lady he was cheating with, um, was married to, caught them in this affair and told them to stop it this summer. And so this affair has been going on a long time before he even invited her to move in with him. First of all, I love Nia Long. I think she's a classic beauty. I think she's just, you know, flawless, but anyone can be cheated on. So we got to get rid of that narrative that who cheats on Nia Long, who should cheat on anyone? No one should cheat. If you don't want to be with someone, leave the relationship, leave the situation and move on. Be an adult and have a clean break and move on from the situation. You can't have your cake and eat it too, which is what a lot of people want to do because they're selfish. Okay. That's just it. But to have this woman plan the move of your fiance and your child while you're having an affair with her is an all new low. Now, the suspension and everything that went on with the Boston Celtics, I really feel as though allegedly because her husband was a vice president and high up in the Celtics organization, they were going to make an example out of him. And there was also allegations back and forth that it was not consensual. The official team statement was that it was consensual. So until we get other news, I'm going to go with that. Um, but I will say that it's definitely immoral. It's messed up what he did to Nia. It's embarrassing to her. It's embarrassing to his family and his child. And at the end of the day, I feel like you definitely can't prosper running around doing people like this. Like you are never going to prosper. And that's just it. You know what I mean? So that's basically that on that. 
All right, let's get into the last topic here, the baddies reunion. Um, the baddies reunion is always a key for me. I love to watch it. Um, I didn't really watch the majority of this season. I watched some episodes, but, um, the reunions I always like to watch. Uh, so even though it looked like it in the trailer, there were absolutely no questions asked in part one (laughs) on the main stage. I would say they were able to get through some conversations, um, backstage and while the women were getting ready while Trina and Janisha were getting ready they were able to ask some questions but there were no questions asked on the main stage um and it just kind of leads people to wonder like what is really going on with these reunions Natalie was not dressed up for her own reunion she had on like a two-piece outfit she didn't get her braids redone it was just giving like I'm going to Target to be honest with you Um, a lot of the women came in like, you know, sneakers and shorts and stuff because they came ready to fight, um, not really have a reunion. So that's clear. Uh, the pre-roll is fine, but we just feel like pre-roll in place of a reunion is just not a reunion special, right? Pre-roll meaning like hair, makeup interviews, having the women grouped with other women that they don't really hate. Um, and kind of discussing the season, Natalie kind of discussing the season with Scotty and then, you know, Janisha and Trina and Roly and Slim, you know, people that get along discussing the reunion. Great to have it. Nice insight, but it can't take place of the reunion because at this point, the reunion is so much fighting that they have to use so much of this, uh, pre-roll to, to basically fill up the time and make sure there's at least two parts. Um, and they're rumoring that this will be three parts. So I'm just like, oh my God. And it's the middle of the night. Like you really, and I think Krishan kind of alluded to this when she was on stage, but it is really disrespectful to have staff, makeup, hair, uh, security, the entire team go all through the night without filming anything because you guys cannot stop fighting. I mean, you have to be a little more professional than that. If a fight's going to happen on the main stage, that's one thing, but let's get through at least a few questions before. If tempers are flaring that hot, they may have to do what mob wives did back in the day and interview everyone separately, interview that small group, interview Rolly and Slim, then interview Natalie and Scotty, then interview, you know, persuasion and and Brie and a couple of the others have them be separated so you can actually get something done and it's not just pure chaos um Armand Wiggins shout out to him he said that it looked crazy and it looked chaotic and they should also have no more celeb hosts why are you paying these celebrity hosts when they can't even host they're in danger because you always see them kind of jumping back and backing up as the women are fighting each other on the main stage and you have the host you know, dressed appropriately and ready to host and they never get to do anything. This is the same thing that happened on Jocelyn's Cabaret. Brittany Renner was was uh, scheduled to co-host. She didn't even say two words. <laughs> we only got a pre-interview from her. And I feel like it could be the same with Trina because I know Trina is not going to yell and scream over these girls. She truly is the baddest. You know, she's a baddie that's really the baddest. And she's not going to go back and forth with these girls if they're not going to listen to her. I'm sure she's going to sit there in that cute neon outfit and not say two words. So let's just cut the celebrity hosts until they can get the fighting down. Because at the end of the day, now you're just paying people and wasting money. 
I, I don't know. I want the reunions to be a reunion. I just want them to be able to address some of the comments they made in the confessional, some of the things that they've said on social media when they went live or if they made posts or whatever. I want them to be able to address that. The constant fighting is, I guess, quote unquote, entertaining, but it's not getting to it. It's not getting to what we actually came here to get to on the reunion. All right, y'all, that has been today's trending topics. I went a little bit over, but it's going to be a long episode. Yay. For those of y'all that keep asking me, can the episode be longer? This one will be longer. (laughs) All right, stay tuned for our sports update. Hello, hello, hello out there, and welcome to the Sports Update with J-Rob. Today, I will be covering week three of the NFL, so let's get started. The Cleveland Browns defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. Browns running back Nick Chubb carried the ball 23 times for 113 yards and one touchdown. The Green Bay Packers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Packers led 14-3 at the half and held on for the victory. The LA Rams defeated the Arizona Cardinals. The Rams defense did not allow the Cardinals offense to score a touchdown. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Seattle Seahawks. The Falcons running back Cordarrelle Peterson had 17 carries for 141 yards and one touchdown. The Jacksonville Jaguars blew out the LA Chargers. The Jaguars outscored the Chargers 22-3 in the second half. The Tennessee Titans defeated the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are 0-3 on the year. The Cincinnati Bengals beat the New York Jets. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow completed 23 passes for 275 yards and 3 touchdowns. The Miami Dolphins defeated the Buffalo Bills. Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddle caught four passes for 102 yards. The Indianapolis Colts beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Colts quarterback Matt Ryan completed 27 passes for 222 yards and two touchdowns. The Chicago Bears defeated the Houston Texans. The Bears running back Khalil Herbert had 20 carries for 157 yards and two touchdowns. The Carolina Panthers beat the New Orleans Saints. The Panthers defense shut out the Saints offense for the first three quarters of the game. The Baltimore Ravens defeated the New England Patriots. Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson threw for four touchdowns and ran for another. The Minnesota Vikings beat the Detroit Lions. Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins completed 24 passes for 260 yards and two touchdowns. The Philadelphia Eagles blew out the Washington Commanders. The Eagles defense sacked Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz nine times. And the Denver Broncos defeated the San Francisco 49ers. The Broncos defended their home field and have improved to a record of 2-1. and one. And this has been the Sports Update with J-Rob. Have an amazing week. 
All right, T-Crew, let's get into my favorite part of the podcast, the deep dive, where I get to shed a light on something I've been thinking about all week. And today we are definitely going to be talking about Dahmer on Netflix. And is it re-traumatizing the victims, specifically because a lot of the victims are from the black and brown community? So let's get into it. Now, the victims had to live through this, not only the night of whatever attack they had against them with Jeffrey Dahmer, they've also had to live with it at least seven times since then in the form of films. So let's go through some of them. The Dahmer Files in 2012, Dumb and Dahmer in 2021, Roadside Massacre in 2012, Jeff uh, Felt in 2017, and my friend Dahmer also in 2017. So every time these movies come out, of course, basically anytime he's being pictured, anytime he's being photographed, anytime, you know, they see this, it can trigger them and reignite their trauma that they have to this situation. Um, and for those of you that are just not familiar, I'll just do a quick um, review of Jeffrey Dahmer, who he was and what he did. So Jeffrey Dahmer was basically an outsider that had some social issues and some problems connecting with people. Um, he lived in Ohio with his family where he, I believe killed two people or one person. Um, and it was because he wanted people to stay with him and have companionship. He didn't want people to leave his life. And he began a, you know, psychotic compulsion to kill people, dismember them and eat them um, as a way to keep them closer to him. Right. So he did this in Ohio. He did this uh, mainly in Milwaukee, where he moved to um in his, in his later years and where, you know, he just committed a bunch of these crimes. Uh, so basically the victims that have went through this, the families, just to hear the gruesome details of what happened to your child when he was finally arrested in 1991. And then to have this come up years and years and years later, over and over and over in different film and TV show adaptations. It just has to be re-traumatizing the victims. One of um, the relatives of one of the sisters of uh, one of the victims came forward and she said, you know, her sister had given or her relative had given the testimony at Dahmer's trial about, a, you know, a, a victim statement, a victim um statement about how this has changed her family, how her family will never be the same after what happened to Jeffrey. And, you know, she kind of got enraged in the courthouse and this was reenacted in the series right down to the letter, really same outfit, same hair, similar actress, um, to the person that it actually happened to. And the, the woman said, you know, this is re-traumatizing, uh, my family to have to watch this play out on screen because the portrayal is so accurate that it is causing some people to relive their trauma again, um, which is true crime. I think that the larger conversation is whenever something happens, that's true crime, whether it's this many victims, we had 17 victims. So there is a lot of families um, that have to do with this situation, but whether it's them or it's, you know, the one person, the person that had the one victim or the one family that was traumatized. Every time we 
you know, get to enjoy true crime content, it's at the hands of the actual victims that had to go through this. And it does kind of give you the kind of like juxtaposition of, is this entertaining or should we not be partaking in these people's trauma as a documentary, as a show, as something entertaining for us to watch? Should we be entertained by something that really happened to them in real life? Um, and that's that's another question. That's a question. That's a moral question that we have to ask ourselves because I, you know, true crime junkie. I love to, especially, you know, not violent crime, particularly for me. I like to look at the scams and whatever, but even that, you know, that has victims that has real people behind it that have lost something, um, have been scammed out of something in order to make this content, uh, and what it means for us to continue to watch this content and take it in. Because if we watch it and take it in, it will continue to be produced. And we have to kind of think about that as watchers, you know, is it ethical? And things like that, especially for the families whose cases were mishandled by the police and they never really got justice. You know, that Loatian family, they really had two kids in the family be victimized because the first time the judge looked at Jeffrey Dahmer as a young white male that he thought just had a problem with drinking and gave him another opportunity to basically do work release in prison, which is you get to leave prison to go work and then you come back to prison at night for only a year after he was caught, you know, molesting a teenage boy. Um, and he really gave him a slap on the wrist for that because he felt like he could turn his life around and the judge did him a disservice because he really needed help. You know, that was one of my more, um, favorite scenes in the show when Jeff got out of jail that time and his dad picked him up and he basically said to him, like, did you get any, you know, psychological services? Did you get any services for your mental health? Like, did they walk you through anything? And he's like, no, they basically just left me alone and you know, let me lift weights. And that's all I did the whole time I was there. And the dad just felt like he just sunk into himself because he knew that Jeff did not get any help and that he was going to do something like this again. Um, and that's, you know, the prison system, that's a whole nother episode of what it really does and how, you know, what kind of rehabilitation you really get out of that. I, I have no idea, but again, that's another episode. Um, but like I was saying, you know, I really feel like this is especially traumatizing for some families that never got justice. Yes, the cash payment is great, but to have your child, not one, but two of your children be victimized and it be mishandled by the authorities and you still don't get any peace from it except for a cash payout. A cash payout will not bring up, bring back his son especially when his life could have been saved if people were paying attention, you know, in these underserved areas. And that's another thing I wanted to mention, you know, Jeff was strategic and he was smart and he was going to black and brown neighborhoods because they're under policed. Their supervision is less. People just ultimately care less what happens to the, these communities because they're more impoverished. They don't make as much money. You know, they don't have the voting power, so they really don't care. They're policing uptown where people are making money and contributing to their campaigns. Let's just keep it a bean, right? So when these kind of things happen to 
black and brown poor people. That's why I'm glad they showed the section of Jesse Jackson actually taking it seriously because not only were they black and brown poor people, they were also, uh, you know, the majority of them were also gay and of the LGBT community. And these people were thought of, you know, if you think of black and brown people as less than, if they're gay, they're super less than, right? They bring them down even further. And no one was looking into these cases because of who these people were. And it's just terrible and it's heartbreaking. And I think that having said all that, I think the show did a great job of really showing the lives of the victims, um, and just who they were as people, that they were just there to have a good time or that they had aspirations and they had dreams or they were just trying to raise a little money for their family and just doing whatever they could to make it. Um, it just really, it, it was a heartbreaking portrayal, but I think it did the victims some justice to get their stories out and their names out there that they were people, they weren't just skeletons, you know, in Dahmer's weird uh, trophy closet that they actually were living, breathing human beings with names and families and aspirations and people that loved them. And had they gone on to live, they would have had successful careers. They would have had businesses. They would have had, you know, maybe some of them would have been LGDP, LG, oh, sorry, LG, what? I don't can say it right. The alphabet family. They would have been the alphabet family leaders, you know, getting up there and speaking about the rights of this protected group. They could have been, you know, there's just so many things they could have been um, besides a victim of Jeffrey Dahmer. And so many people had an opportunity to end his killing spree and just did not do their job or look the other way. Um and I'm glad they they shown they shown a light on that, but they also shown a light on the people that did not stop, uh, like Glenda in the show, who just did not stop caring about the situation and doing all they could um, to better the community that they live in. You know, people can't always choose where they live. If you can, that's definitely a privilege, but everyone can't um, choose where they live. So for him to go into these neighborhoods and specifically attack people from these neighborhoods that probably didn't have an opportunity to live elsewhere was oof, just really, really gross. But, um, you know, I, I encourage you to watch the show, but just watch it with the context of the things I was just talking about. And I hope you enjoyed this deep dive. Stay tuned for our outro comments. All right, T-Crew, this is my least favorite part of the podcast where I have to say goodbye to you. Um, you know, thank you so much for taking our polls, for engaging in our Instagram and Facebook reels. Don't forget our Facebook, Tea Talk with Shaw, um, is monetized. So get on there, like some reels, share some reels, get into the content over there. Um, as always, convict the cops that killed Brianna Taylor. We won't stop until she gets the justice that she rightly deserves. Have a beautiful day or night wherever you are. I love you for listening. Bye.